Chapter Seven, Part Two of Hilda Wade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Hilda Wade, a woman with tenacity of purpose, by Grant Allen. Chapter Seven, Part Two. We went down to the spot and picked it up where it lay, half concealed among the brittle, dry scrub of milk bushes. I examined the bearings carefully. Though there were hoof marks close by, it had received no hurt. I blew up the tire, which was somewhat flabby, and went on to untie my sturdy pony. The moment I looked at her, I saw the poor little brute was wearied out with her two long rides in the sweltering sun. Her flanks quivered. It is no use, I cried, patting her as she turned to me with appealing eyes that asked for water. She can't go back as far as Salisbury, at least till she has had a feed of corn and a drink. Even then it will be rough on her. Give her bread, Hilda suggested. That will hearten her more than corn. There is plenty in the house. Tant Mette baked this morning. I crept in reluctantly to fetch it. I also brought out from the dresser a few raw eggs to break into a tumbler and swallow whole, for Hilda and I needed food almost as sorely as the poor beast herself. There was something gruesome in thus rummaging about for bread and meat in the dead woman's cupboard, while she herself lay there on the floor. But one never realizes how one will act in these great emergencies until they come upon one. Hilda, still calm with unearthly calmness, took a couple of loaves from my hand and began feeding the pony with them. "'Go and draw water for her,' she said simply, "'while I give her the bread. That will save time. Every minute is precious.' I did as I was bid, not knowing each moment but that the insurgents would return. When I came back from the spring with the bucket, the mare had demolished the whole two loaves, and was going on upon some grass, which Hilda had plucked for her. "'She hasn't had enough, poor dear,' Hilda said, patting her neck. "'A couple of loaves are penny buns to her appetite. Let her drink the water while I go in and fetch out the rest of the baking.' I hesitated. "'You can't go in there again, Hilda,' I cried. "'Wait, and let me do it.' Her white face was resolute. "'Yes, I can,' she answered. It is a work of necessity, and in works of necessity a woman, I think, should flinch at nothing. Have I not seen already every varied aspect of death at Nathaniel's? And in she went, undaunted, to that chamber of horrors, still clasping the baby. The pony made short work of the remaining loaves, which she devoured with great zest. As Hilda had predicted, they seemed to hearten her. The food and drink, with a bucket of water dashed on her hoofs, gave her new vigour like wine. We gulped down our eggs in silence. Then I held Hilda's bicycle. She vaulted lightly on to the seat, white and tired as she was, with the baby in her left arm and her right hand on the handlebar. I must take the baby, I said. She shook her head. Oh, no, I will not trust her to you. Hilda, I insist. And I insist, too. It is my place to take her. But can you ride so? I asked anxiously. She began to pedal. Oh, dear, yes. It is quite, quite easy. I shall get there all right, if the Matabele don't burst upon us. 
Tired as I was with my long day's work, I jumped into my saddle. I saw I should only lose time if I disputed about the baby. My little horse seemed to understand that something grave had occurred, for weary as she must have been, she set out with a will once more over that great red level. Hilda pedaled bravely by my side. The road was bumpy, but she was well accustomed to it. I could have ridden faster than she went, for the baby waited her. Still, we rode for dear life. It was a grim experience. All round by this time the horizon was dim with clouds of black smoke, which went up from burning farms and plundered homesteads. The smoke did not rise high. It hung sullenly over the hot plain, in long, smouldering masses, like the smoke of steamers on foggy days in England. The sun was nearing the horizon. His slant red rays lighted up the red plain, the red sand, the brown-red grasses, with a murky spectral glow of crimson. After those red pools of blood, this universal burst of redness appalled one. It seemed as though all nature had conspired in one unholy league with the Matabele. We rode on without a word. The red sky grew redder. "'They may have sacked Salisbury,' I exclaimed at last, looking out towards the brand-new town. "'I doubt it,' Hilda answered. Her very doubt reassured me. We began to mount a long slope. Hilda pedalled with difficulty. Not a sound was heard save the light fall of my pony's feet on the soft new road, and the shrill cry of the cicalas. Then suddenly we started. What was the noise in our rear? Once, twice it rang out, the loud ping of a rifle. Looking behind us, we saw eight or ten mounted matabele. Stalwart warriors they were, half-naked and riding stolen horses. They were coming our way. They had seen us. They were pursuing us. "'Put on all speed!' I cried in my agony. "'Hilda, can you manage it?' She pedalled with a will, but as we mounted the slope I saw they were gaining upon us. A few hundred yards were all our start. They had the descent of the opposite hill as yet in their favour. One man, astride on a better horse than the rest, galloped on in front and came within range of us. He had a rifle in his hand. He pointed it twice and covered us. But he did not shoot. Hilda gave a cry of relief. "'Don't you see?' she exclaimed. "'It is Oom Jan Willem's rifle. That was their last cartridge. They have no more ammunition.' I saw she was probably right for class was out of cartridges, and was waiting for my new stock to arrive from England. If that were correct, they must get near enough to attack us with assegais. They are more dangerous so. I remembered what an old Boer had said to me at Bulawayo. The Sulu with his assegai is an enemy to be feared. With a gun he is a bungler. We pounded up on the hill. It was deadly work with those brutes at our heels. The child on Hilda's arm was visibly wearying her. It kept on whining. Hilda, I cried, that baby will lose your life. You cannot go on carrying it. She turned to me with a flash of her eyes. What? You are a man, she broke out, and you ask a woman to save her life by abandoning a baby. Hubert, you shame me. I felt she was right. If she had been capable of giving it up, she would not have been Hilda. There was but one other way left. 
then you must take the pony i called out and let me have the bicycle you couldn't ride it she called back it is a woman's machine remember yes i could i replied without slowing it is not much too short and i can bend my knees a bit quick quick no words do as i tell you she hesitated a second the child's weight distressed her we should lose time in changing she answered at last doubtful but still pedalling though my hand was on the rein ready to pull up the pony not if we manage it right obey orders the moment i say halt i shall slacken my mare's pace when you see me leave the saddle jump off instantly you and mount her i will catch the machine before it falls are you ready halt then she obeyed the word without one second's delay i slipped off held the bridle caught the bicycle and led it instantaneously then i ran beside the pony bridle in one hand machine in the other till hilda had sprung with a light bound into the stirrup at that a little leap and i mounted the bicycle it was all done nimbly in less time than the telling takes for we are both of us naturally quick in our movements hilda rode like a man astride her short bicycling skirt unobtrusively divided in front and at the back made this easily possible looking behind me with a hasty glance i could see that the savages taken aback had reined in to deliberate at our unwanted evolution i feel sure that the novelty of the iron horse with the woman riding it played not a little on their superstitious fears they suspected no doubt this was some ingenious new engine of war devised against them by the unaccountable white man it might go off unexpectedly in their faces at any moment most of them i observed as they halted carried on their backs black oxhide shields interlaced with white thongs they were armed with two or three assegais apiece and a knob carry instead of losing time by the change as it turned out we had actually gained it hilda was able to put on my sorrel to her full pace which i had not dared to do for fear of outrunning my companion the wise little beast for her part seemed to rise to the occasion and to understand that we were pursued for she stepped out bravely on the other hand in spite of the low seat and the short crank of a woman's machine i could pedal up the slope with more force than hilda for i am a practised hill-climber so that in both ways we gained besides having momentarily disconcerted and checked the enemy their ponies were tired and they rode them full tilt with savage recklessness making them canter uphill and so needlessly fatiguing them the matabela indeed are unused to horses and manage them but ill it is as foot-soldiers creeping stealthily through bush or long grass that they are really formidable only one of their mounts was tolerably fresh the one which had once already almost overtaken us as we neared the top of the slope hilda glancing behind her exclaimed with a sudden thrill he is spurting again hubert i drew my revolver and held it in my right hand using my left for steering i did not look back time was far too precious i set my teeth hard tell me when he draws near enough for a shot i said quietly hilda only nodded being mounted on the mare she could see behind her more steadily now than i could from the machine and her eye was trustworthy as for the baby rocked by the heave and fall of the pony's withers it had fallen asleep placidly in the very midst of this terror 
After a second I asked once more with bated breath, Is he gaining? She looked back. Yes, gaining. A pause. And now? Still gaining. He is poising an assegai. Ten seconds more passed in breathless suspense. The thud of their horses' hoofs alone told me their nearness. My finger was on the trigger. I awaited the word. Fire! she said at last in a calm, unflinching voice. He is well within distance. I turned half round and levelled as true as I could at the advancing black man. He rode nearly naked, showing all his teeth and brandishing his assegai. The long white feathers stuck upright in his hair gave him a wild and terrifying barbaric aspect. It was difficult to preserve one's balance, keep the way on and shoot, all at the same time, but spurred by necessity, I somehow did it. I fired three shots in quick succession. My first bullet missed, my second knocked the man over, my third grazed the horse. With a ringing shriek the Matabele fell in the road, a black writhing mass, his horse, terrified, dashed back with maddened snorts into the midst of the others. Its plunging disconcerted the whole party for a minute. We did not wait to see the rest. Taking advantage of this momentary diversion in our favour, we rode on at full speed to the top of the slope. I never knew before how hard I could pedal, and began to descend at a dash into the opposite hollow. The sun had set by this time. There is no twilight in those latitudes. It grew dark at once. We could see now, in the plain all round, where black clouds of smoke had rolled before, one lurid red glare of burning houses, mixed with the sullen haze of tawny light from the columns of prairie fire, kindled by the insurgents. We made our way still onward across the open plain, without one word towards Salisbury. The mare was giving out, she strode with a will, but her flanks were white with froth, her breath came short, foam flew from her nostrils. As we mounted the next ridge, still distancing our pursuers, I saw suddenly on its crest, defined against the livid red sky like a silhouette, two more mounted black men. "'It is all up, Hilda,' I cried, losing heart at last. "'They are on both sides of us now. The mare is spent. We are surrounded.' She drew rein and gazed at them. For a moment suspense spoke in all her attitude. Then she burst into a sudden deep sigh of relief. "'No, no!' she cried. "'These are friendless.' "'How do you know?' I gasped, but I believed her. "'They are looking out this way, with hands shading their eyes against the red glare. They are looking away from Salisbury, in the direction of the attack. They are expecting the enemy. They must be friendless. See, see, they have caught sight of us.' As she spoke, one of the men lifted his rifle and half-pointed it. "'Don't shoot! Don't shoot!' I shrieked aloud. "'We are English! English!' The men let their rifles drop and rode down towards us. "'Who are you?' I cried. They saluted us military fashion. "'Matabele Polisa!' the leader answered, recognizing me. "'You are flying from classes?' "'Yes,' I answered. They have murdered Klaas, with his wife and child. Some of them are now following us. The spokesman was a well-educated Cape Town Negro. All right, sir, he answered. I have forty men here right behind the kopje. 
Let them come. We can give a good account of them. Ride on straight with the lady to Salisbury. The Salisbury people know of this rising, then? I asked. Yes, sir. Dem know since five o'clock. Kaffir boy from classes brought in the news, and a white man escaped from Rosenbaum's confirm it. We have pickets all round. You is safe now. You can ride on into Salisbury without fear of de Matebele. I rode on relieved. Mechanically my feet worked to and fro on the pedals. It was a gentle down-gradient now towards the town. I had no further need for special exertion. Suddenly Hilda's voice came wafted to me as through a mist. "'What are you doing, Hubert? You'll be off in a minute.' I started and recovered my balance with difficulty. Then I was aware at once that one second before I had all but dropped asleep, dog-tired on the bicycle. Worn out with my long day and with a nervous strain, I began to doze off, with my feet still moving round and round automatically. The moment the anxiety of the chase was relieved, and an easy downgrade gave me a little respite. I kept myself awake even then with difficulty. Riding on through the lurid gloom, we reached Salisbury at last, and found the town already crowded with refugees from the plateau. However, we succeeded in securing two rooms at a house in the long street, and were soon sitting down to a much-needed supper. As we rested an hour or two later in the ill-furnished back room, discussing this sudden turn of affairs with our host and some neighbours, for, of course, all Salisbury was eager for news from the scene of the massacres, I happened to raise my head, and saw, to my great surprise, a haggard white face peering in at us through the window. It peered round a corner stealthily. It was an ascetic face, very sharp and clear-cut. It had a stately profile. The long and wiry grizzled moustache, the deep-set hawk-like eyes, the acute, intense intellectual features, all were very familiar. So was the outer setting of long white hair, straight and silvery as it fell, and just curled in one wave, like inward sweep, where it turned and rested on the stooping shoulders. But the expression on the face was even stranger than the sudden apparition. It was an expression of keen and poignant disappointment, as of a man whom fate has spoilt of some well-planned end, is due by right, which mere chance has evaded. "'They say there's a white man at the bottom of all this trouble,' our host had been remarking one second earlier. "'The niggers know too much, and where did they get their rifles? People at Rosenbaum's believe some black-livered traitor has been stirring up the Matabele for weeks and weeks. An enemy of Rhodes is, of course, jealous of our advance.' A French agent, perhaps, but more likely one of these confounded Transvaal Dutchmen. Depend upon it, it's Kruger's doing. As the words fell from his lips, I saw the face. I gave a quick little start, then recovered my composure. But Hilda noted it. She looked up at me hastily. She was sitting with her back to the window, and therefore, of course, could not see the face itself, which indeed was withdrawn with a hurried movement yet with a certain strange dignity, almost before I could feel sure of having seen it. Still she caught my startled expression, and the gleam of surprise and recognition in my eye. She laid one hand upon my arm. "'You have seen him?' she asked quietly, almost below her breath. 
seen whom sebastian it was useless denying it to her yes i have seen him i answered in a confidential aside just now this moment at the back of the house looking in at the window upon us you are right as always she drew a deep breath he has played his game she said low to me in an awed undertone i felt sure it was he i expected him to play though what piece i knew not and when i saw those poor dead souls i was certain he had done it indirectly done it the matabele are his pawns he wanted to aim a blow at me and this was the way he chose to aim it do you think he is capable of that i cried for in spite of all i had still a sort of lingering respect for sebastian it seems so reckless like the worst of anarchists when he strikes at one head to involve so many irrelevant lives in one common destruction hilda's face was like a drowned man's to sebastian she answered shuddering the end is all the means are unessential who wills the end wills the means that is the sum and substance of his philosophy of life from first to last he has always acted upon it did i not tell you once he was a snow-clad volcano dill i'm loth to believe i cried she interrupted me calmly i knew it she said i expected it beneath that cold exterior the fires of his life burn fiercely still i told you we must wait for sebastian's next move though i confess even from him i hardly dreamt of this one but from the moment when i opened the door on poor tant metty's body lying there in its red horror i felt it must be he and when you started just now i said to myself in a flash of intuition sebastian has come he has come to see how his devil's work has prospered he sees it has gone wrong so now he will try to devise some other i thought of the malign expression on that cruel white face as it stared in at the window from the outer gloom and i felt convinced she was right she had read her man once more for it was the desperate contorted face of one appalled to discover that a great crime attempted and successfully carried out has failed by mere accident of its central intention end of chapter 7 part 2 read by lars rolander